Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, How to Become Famous in Your Niche Market, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If these are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abnp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Dan Hawkins studied medical engineering at Loyola Marymount University. He worked a few years for Carol Shelby before going into the aerospace industry. Dan was let go from Raytheon in 2013 and decided to pursue his dream of having his own business. He knew he wanted to do something that was fun and that he was passionate about. He's always loved fitness and became a passionate nutritionist after dealing with some health issues of his own, knowing firsthand how much of a struggle it can be to stay healthy while having a desk job and realizing how much nutrition affects our health. Dan knew he needed to share his knowledge and passion with others who were struggling to be healthy. After a broad search, Dan decided to go with the nine-round concept, and he opened his location in Torrance, California in August of 2014. In his spare time, Dan enjoys gardening and beach volleyball. He's also recently become more active in his community, fundraising for local charities, and participating in the Chamber of Commerce. So, Dan, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I wanted to start out first giving us a little bit more background about yourself and then what drew you into the fitness arena. Yeah, so I started off doing um, what I was quote unquote supposed to do. Um, basically, you know, get a practical degree and get a good job in corporate America and save for your 401k. And and after doing that for several years, I found it um, very unfulfilling. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I had a great career and very successful but it was kind of unfulfilling and and I did have um, a lot of fun and a lot I had what I called a life of distraction but didn't have a, a good life of meaning and and during that time I also uh, I would say didn't have optimal health I thought I was eating healthy just like so many people think they're eating healthy but it's so confusing these days and so I had really uneven energy levels um, I would get um, you know like a food coma after lunch and then need that pick me up that caffeine in the afternoon and then get tired later. And, and I thought, you know, and, and while this was happening, I was still very active. I was doing triathlons and playing soccer and volleyball and very active, but I had very uneven energy levels. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard for me to do anything other than my, you know, my nine to five or my really eight to six, but right. <laughs> <laughs> to do anything beyond that. And slowly over time, I started to make small changes and get really curious about nutrition and what are we supposed to eat? Cause it seems it's so fundamental to, you know, to, to any creature, what do you eat? You know, right. and as humans, it's so confusing and we're supposed to be, you know, pretty smart in the animal right. kingdom, but <laughs> so many <laughs> other animals have figured time. out their diet better than we have. And so it was kind of humbling to realize that I didn't know how to eat. And I started really studying and learning about it. And once I, it really, it really changed my life, changing my, 
my diet changed my life and it led me to a really passionate career in business and where I feel like I'm contributing to my community. So it's been a really great journey. Well, I found an article actually on Shopify Plus that gave statistics for entrepreneurs stating they have greater stress, depression, illness, and suicide compared to the general population. And it suggested self-care to help. So do you find in your interaction with business owners that they fail to build in time to recharge? Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, the word that that comes to mind when I think of owning a small business is overwhelm. It is it is so overwhelming. Um, and I know when I started, I I had no clue about so many things. And so I got help. You know, I thought I need a bookkeeper. I need a tax person. I need I need, you know, a lawyer to review this document. I need help. And it's so um, common for business owners to get overwhelmed and kind of feel like there's nobody to turn to. You know, in, in the corporate world, there's whole systems in place, right. you know, for, for you to go to and resources and subject matter experts. But as a business owner, it all falls on you. And when you get overwhelmed, you often people shut down or they um, or, they, or they're just there's no resource for them. So one of the analogies I like is if you think about like your star quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've got to spend time training. But they also have to spend time resting right. and, and refueling, you know, and, and, and your business, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like being a mom. A mom can't afford a sick day, right? right. <laughs> like your kids are like, what are you talking about? You're sick, mom, I need help. You know, and a business is the same way. Like you can't mm-hmm. afford, you know, to be sick in, in a lot of times. So you really have to focus on your self-care mm-hmm. and you have to schedule it in because, you know, no one's going <laughs> to, when you have employees, it's like you have to give them breaks. You have to right. have benefits for them you have to hold these things for them but no one's there to tell you go take a break go make sure you have sleep go make sure you have this and so it's so critical for you to realize that that your rest and your recovery are critical to your high performance in doing your job right i think we know that but at the same time we're so busy trying to meet deadlines or Mm -hmm. you know we feel pressure it's like oh i'll take care of it later and then we don't necessarily do as great a job as we should so well does being an entrepreneur in the fitness industry make it easier for you to maintain healthy eating habits and exercise or is there so much to do to run your own business that it's difficult for you as well oh i love that question so (laughs) at this point yes um in the beginning it was very, very difficult to um, to get my workouts in and to and to eat healthy because I was working all the time. And and by the end of the day, when it's finally your turn, you're too tired to, to do you know to do marketing, let alone work out. Right. And then and food becomes more of just whatever's convenient. And so if you're not planning well, it's it's hard. You know, now that I'm a few years in and I've gotten things, um, got some employees, and I've gotten my schedule under control. Now I see it as my job to be as fit and healthy as possible and to learn everything I can about performance um, so that I can share that with others. So in the beginning, it was really hard just because of that aspect of overwhelm. But now I see it as it's really my job to be the example of, of, of health and fitness because um, that's the way you, you know, help others to, to mm-hmm. do a better job. That's so good <laughs> you know, to be the example for all of us yeah. and your employees even. Let mm-hmm. them see you're doing your best to run a business but maintain your health as well too. Yeah, Absolutely. So we know what we should eat and be healthy exercise, but often we feel there's so much work to be done. 
I found an article published in Population Health Management that shows that eating unhealthily is linked with a 66% increased risk of loss of productivity and rare exercise is linked with 50% increased risk of low productivity. So what do you suggest for those of us who feel work is never ending, but we want to start to live a healthier lifestyle and be more productive? Yeah, you know, that's so true. And I think back to my days um, as an aerospace engineer and, and you know, <laughs> I get to work and have like a breakfast burrito and a coffee and, and then, you know, felt my energy kind of drop and then go to lunch. And it's so hard to be productive, especially you, know, you come back from lunch and, and you're trying to have a meeting with your boss and you have, you know, you're, you're in a food coma, you know, and it's so hard to be productive when your energy's low and you really have to force yourself and you see people taking caffeine and things like that. And, and really our bodies are designed to be healthy and vital and to give you even energy levels throughout the day. And so when you're not exercising, when you're not, you know, pushing oxygen and, and blood through your body and, 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 and pulling out all the carbon dioxide and all the toxins, when you're not nourishing your body with, with foods that, give you optimal energy and health, it's really, really hard to be productive. Um, and so those, st- I hadn't heard those specific statistics, but it doesn't surprise me. And I can really relate personally to that. Um, and, and now, you know, I, um, when, once you learn to eat better, um, it, it, it really it just starts with small changes. Mm-hmm. I always tell people add, add healthy things versus try to remove unhealthy things. Because as you pull things out, you leave a void. And then then that void needs to be filled somehow. Mm, that's a good point. <laughs> right. So when you proactively fill that void with good hydration, with plenty of uh, fiber and vegetables and good proteins and fats, then then every, all the bases are covered. And that kind of eliminates it, kind of proactively eliminates your cravings and gives you um, a good healthy fuel source to be nourished and, and vital and, and productive. So basically you're saying if we're starting to take care of ourselves without being afraid of like, oh, I have to stop doing whatever. So I'm going to add in... I'm going to make sure I drink my, you know, eight cups of water. I'm going to eat my healthy salad. Then I'm not as hungry, so I'm not going to grab that quick snack or, you know, things like that. So because we're just adding other things in first, it makes it easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. um, Your body, you know, craves things that it needs, um, but it can't. It also craves things that it doesn't need. Right. (laughs) And so when it has everything it needs, it's less likely to crave the things it doesn't need. And and what I found is when I first started studying nutrition and I would talk to people about um, what they're eating and what they shouldn't be eating, you realize that nutrition is very personal. I remember I had a coworker who every morning would get a giant diet soda and a bear claw. (laughs) (laughs) And she was young and skinny and, you know, and she didn't have that strong incentive to make a change. But over time, those habits are going to are going to come back to, to bite her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but being proactive about it and, and, and nourishing your body, you're going to prevent some of those, those negative cravings. And really starting the healthy stuff initially is easier, I think, than cutting out the unhealthy stuff because your body tends to have such powerful food cravings. And I know I have trigger foods that if I eat them, I want more, and, mm. and then it can spiral out of control. But I've, I've learned how to control it. It takes time, though. Mm-hmm. So I found for myself that I need to do my meal planning and prep on the weekends to have healthy choices ready to eat for work and dinner when I come home. So what do you suggest for someone who wants to start with doing meal prep, but they aren't even sure how to begin? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I always tell people that you don't have to meal prep, but the people that I know that get the best results tend to be the ones that that do prep. And it's because if you don't have a plan... um, then, then you end up going for what's convenient. And what's convenient is rarely healthy. Mm-hmm. I remember being at work late, 
um, sometimes trying to finish a deadline and and you you're working as long as you can, but you're you're hungry and and you all there is is a vending machine, you know. And if you go off site, sometimes there's you know just fast food, and so having that plan, being proactive about having healthy foods, um, is is so critical. And so I think a good place to start is just with you know just think about the basics. Think about um, you need a serving of protein, you need a serving of vegetables, you need a serving of carbohydrates, and then some healthy fats. And so start with very basic things. Um, very basic serving of vegetables, maybe a salad with some protein, maybe some some sides of vegetables, maybe something a little bit starcher, starchier, like a sweet potato um, for some more energy. But start simple and and like you know when you do the meal prep, you can make multiple meals at once and and have them ready to go. So it's a little bit more efficient that way. Um, but you definitely want to plan, and you also want plans for if you do go out to eat, mm-hmm. what decisions do you make? Because a lot of places. Some places it's very hard to make a healthy choice, but most restaurants that have a broad menu, you can navigate and find healthy choices um, when you plan ahead. Right. I've noticed, too, for myself, if I know I'm going out somewhere, I try to bring up their menu mm, online. Yeah. So I know ahead of time, like, okay, I can have that. And they'll have, like, fit fair or different things, yeah. too. And and sometimes even just asking for a substitution. You Absolutely. know, Often they'll say, can I have broccoli instead of potatoes or something like that? And often they'll say, sure, no problem. But, yeah. you know, um, that's that's for me though something good to do too so you're not looking at the menu and then you're like oh that looks really good i'm gonna get that and it's not the healthiest option well you know it's so interesting i remember years ago struggling to decide what to eat and i remember thinking why is why is it so hard to decide you know why why can't i figure this out and it was more of a question of what do i feel like eating Mm -hmm. you know because food affects your mood not just your nutrition so i would think about what do i feel like i'm not sure and once i kind of made that decision and made that distinction that I needed to nourish my body, it became really easy because I'd look at, okay, there's a big salad with some chicken or there's, you know, some salmon with veggies and rice. I'm going to substitute um, double veggies and, and no mm-hmm. rice. And so once I made that, once I made that decision and just said, okay, how do I nourish my body the best? All those food decisions became so much easier. Well, food decisions too, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good word to even say. I mean, that's one of the questions we'll probably get to in a bit because we're almost coming upon a break uh, right now but I guess just knowing for you what's healthier too I mean there's different things out there that I've heard you know uh, your body craves this and someone else's body may crave that so I guess even learning yourself like by eating something and seeing how your body reacts you know Mm -hmm. do you get a headache are you tired and lethargic or you know because it might be great for one person but you may not react as well to that so I guess just monitoring your own you know, yeah. how you feel after you eat or maybe keeping a journal even. Absolutely. Yeah, I always tell people my basic food rules are eat real food. And, you know, that's kind of a generic term, but minimally processed food that your great-grandparents would recognize, right? Not something right. that came in a box or the freezer, though some frozen foods are healthy. Um, and then listen to your body. And if, like you said, if you're feeling really sluggish 15 minutes after you eat or mucousy or just um, lethargic, that food's affecting you in some way that's that's not good. And so you got to be present to that. And sometimes when you're when you're eating inconsistently, it's really hard to figure out which foods affected you which way. And that's where the food journal can help. Or also just um, being more consistent about what you eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, in some ways, your menu might get um, more boring because you're cutting out a lot of starchy carbs and sugar things. Right. But you're getting more consistent about getting healthy foods. And then you start to see that when you do wander off that and you eat something else, how it really makes you feel. I remember one time I was at a friend, a friend's house and it was his son's birthday party and I was eating really well 
And uh, it was actually my godson. And he <laughs> he said, have some cake and ice cream. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I haven't had that in six months. So, you know, eat it, eat it, eat it. So I ate some. And instantly I could feel it. I could mm. feel just tired and sluggish and like almost like my brain was getting swollen. Like, <laughs> And so when you really remove that stuff and then you bring it back, you really become present and really feel the impact it has on you. And that's a good you know, thing to know is, yes, I've just eaten this cake and ice cream and I don't feel so great. So it's probably not worth it the next time I'm offered. Exactly. So right. it reinforces that, that it's not healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like it's about time for us to take a break. Uh, so when we come back, we'll continue to chat with Dan about how entrepreneurship affects our health. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Biz Help for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help for You. Welcome back to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Dan Hawkins told us about his background and how he got into assisting individuals with health and fitness. Now, let's turn, let's continue to our discussion on what we can do to be healthier. So, Dan, there are so many food myths out there. How do we know what's accurate information and what is not? 
This is such a, a great question. And, and um, when I first started getting interested in, in nutrition and health, I would basically, quote unquote, study it by you know, reading every article that came out. And you read an article about how coffee is good for you. You know, the next day you read how coffee is bad for you. And then you read about how yogurt is good and yogurt's bad and oatmeal is good. And, and it's so confusing when you just when you just read the articles like that. Because what you have to realize is that there's a lot of food studies out there. And there's some that are observational and some that are clinical, right? And mm-hmm. the observational are much broader. Um, and they give you some correlation, things that you know are related to each other but not causation, not necessarily things that cause each other. And the clinical trials are very scientific and, and you know, it really good ones are double blind where, you know, the, the participants don't know which, mm-hmm. you know, if they're in the, the placebo group or in the other group or so those are much more um, telling. In, but the problem is you can't do long term clinical trials on nutrition because there's an ethical issue, right? We can't mm-hmm. study someone for 30 years, two different people and give one an unhealthy diet and one a, a healthy diet. So we have to kind of do the best we can. And the other um, problem is that a lot of food studies are funded by, you know, groups that have an interest in the results, right? Right. So, so if they get a finding they'd like, they're going to publish it. If they get a finding they don't like, they're going to kind of bury it under the rug. And so it's really difficult to, 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 to weed through it all. I found some experts that I really trust and follow. And, and when I started um, really getting into nutrition, I, I found researchers that studied different things like neurological disorders or cancer or um, metabolic conditions like diabetes. And what I started noticing that is that a lot of them were saying kind of the same things, right? They were saying, um, you know, too much sugar is bad. You know, you need a lot of vegetables. You need healthy proteins, healthy fats. And I think the biggest change that's happened in the last 30 years or so is the whole um, low fat um, versus um, versus now. I mean, some people even say have a high fat diet. Right. Um, I think it's important not to go to extremes. But, you know, the whole history is fascinating to me about how we got to where we are because it was based on, on science but on some some bad, some bad science, I guess. <laughs> um, where, um, you know, they were taking results, they were taking data and, and, and adjusting it to the, to the result they wanted, right, mm-hmm. which isn't how science is supposed to work. And so right. this whole low-fat diet, you know, on, on some way, it, it, it makes some intellectual sense. You think, oh, if I don't eat all this fatty food, I won't be fat. Mm-hmm. But dietary fat versus fat in your body are, are, are not the same thing, right? And, and your body processes it mm-hmm. in a different way. So I think, you know, the best way is to find sources you trust, um, and, and listen to them, but also, like I said before, eat real food and listen to your body. Um, food that doesn't spoil isn't usually healthy, right? right. And if you, and the reason food spoils is because there's microbes that are breaking it down. Mm-hmm. And if the microbes don't want to eat the food, <laughs> right, right. then it might not be healthy right. for you, right? Or there could be chemicals in there that are that are that are damaging to the microbes that might also be damaging to you. So. Um, Breaking through it really, to me, comes down to, like I said before, eating real food and listening to your body and kind of getting back to, like, what your great-great-grandparents ate, you know, um, kind of what people um, would eat on the farm, you know, things that were in season, things that were local and organic, um, plenty of vegetables. But, you know, one of the biggest things, I think, for people, especially a lot of um, people I work with who are diabetic, is they're, they're so afraid of eating fat hmm. um, and they're so focused on calories and the thing is, calories at the end of the day are important, but it's the quality of the calories. And and healthy fats are essential to brain health. And they're also really important for regulating your mood um, 
and and they're important for for uh, for your energy, um, for for building your tissue, and and eating you know this consistently high sugar diet is what's one of the reasons that we've gotten into trouble because it spikes your blood sugar, um, and it causes you know your body to produce too much insulin and it throws off your whole metabolism. I find sugar is in so many things you don't expect it to be into. Yeah. I mean, salad dressings, right. ketchup, you know, yeah. different things when I've been yeah. trying to be more careful too and looking at things. Even I was going to buy spaghetti sauce the other day or yeah. something and I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to, you know, crush some tomatoes and throw some seasonings and make it so it doesn't have sugar in it, you know. So it's amazing how much we get without even realizing it. Absolutely, yeah. I think 70 or 80% of foods you buy in stores have added sugar. And you know, people used to ask me, because I, t- I drink coffee, and uh, that's one of the controversial ones sometimes, and I tend to drink it black, and people say, well, can I add a little cream? Can I add a little sugar? And and the thing is, if you add sugar to your coffee, you might add one or two teaspoons maybe, mm-hmm. but if you look at like a soda, that has like 12 teaspoons, you know, or even um, even like an orange juice has a lot of, you know, just as much sugar as a soda. And so when you're comparing a couple teaspoons in your coffee versus 12 teaspoons, it's really that added sugar that you don't know is there. Um, same with your salad dressing um, and your spaghetti sauce, all these added sugars that you're not even expecting to be there. Do you think you're eating healthy and, um, and they're kind of sneaking into your diet and throwing things off? And what I think is interesting about um, your body's, you know, your, your thirst mechanism, right? So you feel thirsty when you're dehydrated and the more water you drink, the less thirsty you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same with salt. When you crave salt, your body's low on salt. You get enough salt and then you don't need any more. With sugar, it doesn't work that way. With sugar, the more you eat, the more you want. Mm-hmm. And you, it just, you just keep eating more and then it, keeps, it throws you off more because, you know, our ancestors evolved in a time when sugar wasn't plentiful. It was around sort of in late summer when we needed to store fat for the winter because we had to, you know, store all this extra fat to get through the winter. And now we have this, this never ending (laughs) harvest (laughs) from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and we're struggling to kind of figure out how to eat in this, in this world where food is so abundant, you know, it's a good problem to have, but it's a problem. Well, I guess one of the things I've heard before too, for proper eating is shop on the outsides of the store, Mm -hmm. not the inside rows, you Mm -hmm. know, get your produce and, you know, you know, the things basically that you're not going down those aisles where there's pastas and right. crackers and things like that, chips, things like that, that might, you know, grab your attention. But even like you said, canned goods or things like that, too. A lot of those have added, you know, salt or sugar or, you know, whatever that, again, you don't necessarily pay attention to right. that you're getting. Yeah. So I guess following through with that. Yeah, that's a really good rule because the, the stores, obviously, they keep the perishables on the outside. Because those have to be changed more often. So the stuff in the middle is the stuff that tends to sit for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know we were already kind of talking about the good calories and bad calories and healthy fats and bad fats. you know. But again, um, how do we know what's really good to eat and what is just bad? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, there, like I said, there's a lot of myths out there. And I, but I think we intuitively know what's healthy. For instance, I always tell people if, if I were to give you a quiz and show you two meals, mm-hmm. one that's healthy and one's not Pretty much anyone with no nutrition tra- nutritional training would know which one is the healthy one and which mm-hmm. one isn't the healthy one. Um, we, we kind of intrinsically know. There are some things that I think are questionable, like oatmeal, is that healthy or not? Or yogurt, is that healthy or not? Or avocado, you hear it's good or it's not yeah. so good. Or cheese, <laughs> or dairy, all these things that are they're kind of like, I'm not sure about that. And so, you know, aside from, aside from knowing or aside from just the test of how you feel, um, you know, the added sugars are a good one to, to look at because yogurt, you know, when it's made in a tra- tra- traditional way can be part of a healthy diet. 
the problem is that we have these processed yogurts that are very high in sugar, and then it just becomes a sugar bomb. Um, same with you know oatmeal. If you're eating instant oatmeal, it's so high in sugar, and even if it's steel cut, it's it's a it's a lot of you know it's a complex carb, but your body still sees it as a simple mm-hmm. carb, and which translates into a sugar eventually. So, listening to your bodies, eating foods that are fresh, um, and and not being afraid of fat. Um, avocado is a great example because. I think, you know, especially here in California, avocados, <laughs> we're so lucky. I eat avocado almost every single day, and I tell people that from other parts of the country, and they say, well, you can do that in California, but it's not right. available everywhere. And avocados are a really good example of a very healthy fat. There are certain nutrients like uh, vitamins A, D, E, and K that are fat-soluble that you can't get unless you're eating something that's a source of fat. And even when you have your vegetables and you steam them, you need some oil or even butter on there to help your body absorb those calories. Um, better. So those, where, where we get in trouble is when you start, um, you get sweet fats. So you start mixing fat with sugar, sugar. <laughs> or even carbs. You know, you think of a meat and potatoes diet, right? Well, you've got your saturated fat and you've got your starch, your carbs. Um, that's a dangerous combination, right? And so some people look at that and they say, well, if you pull the meat off, you know, you could have a healthy diet, but then you're going to be, you, you have a, a tendency to be, to, tendency, tendency to be deficient um, in in B vitamins um, and in protein and things like that, the other the other uh, rationale is to take out the potato and have the meat and add the healthy fat, um, and that's good. But then you want to also have the vegetables so that you're getting the the fiber and all mm-hmm. the other vitamins and minerals. And it just popped in my head a question for you too: that um, do you recommend eating more raw than cooked or steamed is fine? Like in terms of yeah. eating your vegetables, what do you recommend? That's a great question. And cause you know, the raw diets are so popular now. And, um, I think what's interesting too, is with the whole paleo diet, people are looking at like, what did our ancestors eat? And, um, of course, you know, there is no one paleo diet. Um, and eating a raw diet today can be healthy. Um, our ancestors, you know, if you listen to paleontologists, one of the reasons that we were able to evolve the way we did is because we started cooking and we were able to take foods that weren't great calorie sources and break them down and make them more digestible. And some of the main things were like tubers and things that you can't eat raw. Mm-hmm. Um, broccoli is, you know, it's hard to eat it raw, so lightly steam. Um, foods that you can eat raw, I think it's healthy to go ahead and eat them raw. Um, in that case, you do want to make sure you're leaning towards organic foods so you can avoid pesticides, make sure you're rinsing them. Um, but certain foods, Brussels sprouts, like, <laughs> you're just not going to be able to eat those raw. So you want to you wanna lightly steam them and, and add some healthy oils like um, um, you can add olive oil, extra virgin olive oil or coconut oil or something like that so that your body can process them better with those when you add those healthy fats. But, um, you know, there's, there's certain digestive enzymes in foods that get destroyed or get processed in the cooking. Um, and we need some um, digestive enzymes from the food. So it's good to have some food raw. That's why I always tell people, you know, the first thing to do is start exercising because that's mm-hmm. easier than changing your diet mm-hmm. <laughs> for most people. Then make sure you're hydrated um, and then add a salad. You know, do one thing. You know, when you add that salad, you're getting some raw vegetables and then slowly start substituting um, more um, fibrous vegetables for carbs. And just over time, you know, you, you're not going to change your diet overnight. But over six months, over a year, over a couple of years, you really shift the way you're eating. You shift your taste buds and you shift to a much healthier um, microbiome that's helping you to be healthy and, and, and digest those fibers that are coming with your food. Well, and you touched briefly on organic. And so 
how important is that really? I mean, I've heard there's like, you know, this really bad list of you know, fruits and vegetables that you should, but then there's this other list that uh, it doesn't really matter. So in terms of organic, what do you recommend? Yeah, there's there's some lists out there like the Dirty Dozen and the, the Clean 15 or something like that. And I, I think to, if, you know, to oversimplify it, if you're eating things that have like a like a soft, fleshy surface, like a strawberry, right? Mm-hmm. It's really easy for pesticides to absorb into that strawberry. And in, especially, in, you know, in California, it's kind of, the strawberry industry is kind of notorious for using a lot of pesticides that are banned in other areas. Um, whereas an avocado has a nice, thick, you know, skin that can kind of protect the flesh inside. So it might not be as important to have an organic avocado than it is to have it's more important to have organic strawberry. So if you just look kind of generically like that, it's a simple way. And there's, you know, there's lists you can look up that, that lists it all out for you of the ones that are, you know, there's certain ones that they say always get these organic, other ones that they say try to get these organic. And those are good rules. Um, you know, obviously the organic aren't always available, mm-hmm. but I think we have to really flex our muscles as consumers and and say, you know, we really want healthier food. We want to limit these pesticides. We want and and we have to accept the fact that that might come with a little bit of increased Christ. cost because mm-hmm. we've we've really um, prioritized cost and convenience in the U.S. Um, for food production, and it's come at a huge cost to our health. Um, and so I think we need to you know we're at a point now where people are questioning that, and we're trying to say okay, you know maybe we do need to spend a little more, pay the farmer a little more, so we don't have to pay the doctor so much. Right, and that's why just I was thinking too. I heard you know you're either going to pay for it now or you're going to pay for it later yeah. when you're on you know, seeing the doctor more often or you're ill and, you know, you have these other like drugs, you know, prescriptions or things you have to take, you know, for different things or hoping to find some natural supplements or something. But like you said, it could potentially be an issue now, but it is difficult, especially with someone who's on a very tight budget, you know, when you're looking at those prices, it's like, can I really afford to pay an extra so much, you know, for this when they have this available? Well, you know, and it's interesting because it it is easy to, to overpay, um, you know, for, for groceries at the high end markets and, and buying in small quantities. But if you, you know, look at a family and they're, you know, spending all this money on even on fast food and McDonald's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they go in, they buy in bulk and they buy in season and they buy um, maybe not always organic, but when they can, um, the cost benefit ratio is in their favor where, right. you know, they're, they're really going to get the benefit from it. And and the cost isn't going to isn't that much more when you buy in bulk. Right. And that yeah. can go back to food prep then, too. You know, maybe Absolutely. make a meal and double it. And then freeze a batch so another week or so later you have something already prepared anyway and you've used those foods that are Well, and that's, a, that's such a good point because, you know, cooking is such a part of human existence and we've really kind of outsourced the cooking. We let other people do it. And and I what I noticed about myself is when I started preparing food for myself, I just naturally made, you know, I went through all the different foods and I've, I, I naturally – um, honed in on the healthier foods, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's sort of self-preservation that when you prepare food for yourself, you're thinking about your health. Whereas if someone else prepares it, you're, you, the the thought is more about, oh, this person did something nice for me and I'll eat something that I wouldn't normally eat mm-hmm. because they, I want to honor that relationship or the sacrifice they made for me. Um, and that's where we get in trouble when we eat food that other people make mm-hmm. that isn't optimal, but we want to make them happy. We don't want to offend them. But when we cook for ourselves, and that's really what studies have found is that people that tend to cook for themselves tend to be healthier. 
And obviously it's hard, especially with a business <laughs> to cook. Um, right. But that's where the meal prep comes in because you spend a, a big chunk of time doing a lot of cooking and then spread those meals out over your week. Right. That's exactly what I do. I spend a lot of time, quite a few hours yeah. on the weekend, <laughs> shopping and chopping and preparing. But then I have my food ready all week and generally for another period of time because I'm basically making for myself and then have extras for later. So, yeah. But believe it or not, it's time to take another quick break. Be sure to hang around to hear more from Dan Hawkins about health and nutrition. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. Today, I'm chatting with Dan Hawkins, owner of a nine round training studio. Let's find out a bit more about how we can make healthier decisions to improve our health. So, Dan, what about the different types of food plans, such as keto, paleo, you know, plant-based, or, you know, there's so many different ones we've heard over the years. Can you first explain what these types of eating plans do? Yeah, I love this question. Um, there's always there's always fad diets, and, um, and it, it's really interesting when you go even further back in history, there were times when people thought that protein was very unhealthy, and that's when Kellogg's cereal became so important because people thought, oh, avoid protein and, and just eat these simple carbs that digest more quickly. And then, you know, in the 80s, it became all about the low fat and people eating, um, you know, just basically avoiding fat but more carbs. Um, and now, so what's become more popular is like the paleo um, plan, and 
you know, paleo is basically what did our ancestors eat before 10,000 years ago? And, and I think the kind of the argument for it is that before the agricultural revolution, um, humans average six feet tall and they had mm-hmm. longer lifespans and, and, you know, this is all, you know, obviously based on, mm-hmm. on, you know, archeological evidence and things like that. But then when the agriculture, uh, revolution started and people started eating, um, more of the modern day foods, they had, you know, they, they actually shrunk in height and got shorter, um, by several inches and had, you know, shorter lifespans and more aches and pains. And so the paleo diet is like, Hey, let's go back to the way, you know, our ancient ancestors ate. Um, the problem is if you talk to paleontologists, they're like, well, what does that even mean? Cause if you're in Alaska versus North America versus Asia, your diets are totally different. So there is no one paleo diet. Um, and so it's, it's gotten a lot of, um, flack for that, but basically you want to, the paleo diet tries to avoid any um, overly processed foods, so very minimally processed foods, very foods in their natural state. Um, and even the vegetables that we think of today as paleo were part of the agricultural uh, revolution, foods that were hybridized over years, over the years, you know, um, that didn't exist before then. Our paleolithic ancestors, you know, like if you look at like Inuits, they ate a very, very high fat diet. It was like a lot of blubber and mm-hmm. seal meat and um and for a long time, people couldn't understand where they got all their vitamins, and they got their vitamins from organ meats, mm. like the liver, which is less popular yes. <laughs> in in, uh, in our culture. Um, and then um, keto is much more recent, and um, you know, keto is kind of, I guess, the antithesis of the low-fat diet, right? Because on the low-fat diet, you're e- you're you're eating sugar all day long, and your body's metabolizing sugar all the time, <clears throat> and your bodies actually store maybe a day's worth, maybe about 2,500 calories worth of, of carbohydrates um, in our cells and in our tissue. Um, and so it can go through that pretty quickly. So our bodies, when we eat things that can be broken down into sugar, um, it burns what it can and it stores the rest. And we store a lot more calories as fat. Mm-hmm. Something like 40,000 calories are stored yeah. as fat. And when you're eating um, a lot of sugar, low fiber, um, and, and just other carbohydrates, your body doesn't burn the fat. So keto is all about getting into ketosis where you're burning ketones and your body's basically releasing um, fat as, en- as energy and your body's able to, to, do, to, to burn that more. And I think for me, the big thing about fat diets is avoid them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think there's a lot of good things about keto. So the way I look at it is that our bodies are designed to, ru- to run like a hybrid vehicle. You know, like a gas electric, you know, when you need the gas, you hit the gas, when you can, when you're coasting, you run on the electric. Um, and what most people tend to do because we eat so, um, consistently throughout the day, we don't do any fasting. And because we're eating foods that, you know, consistently getting sugar, we're always burning sugar and storing fat, burning sugar and storing fat. And we're really designed to have periods where we, where we don't eat or where we don't have so much sugar, where our body can go into ketosis and start burning that fat. And so, um, I think it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a good buzzword these days and good thing to be aware of, but I think people tend to, um, they tend to go to extremes with everything. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to go all keto all the time. And, um, you're really not designed to be all keto all the time. Either your body should be keto adapted where you can go in and out of ketosis. Um, you eat a meal and you, you burn sugar and then, um, you have a break between meals where you, you process all that sugar and then your body goes when it needs, it goes back into burning fat or overnight when you're sleeping. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it's good to be aware of and it's, and it's, and, um, but people do tend to take it to extremes. And I think it's important to avoid that. 
Well, and one thing you mentioned too, just during you know that explanation was fasting, and so I've heard also intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and how good that is and everything. But now let's look at it from an entrepreneur's perspective, sure. right? Like, you know, I am a good example. I get up early in the morning. I'm at work very early. I work, you know, till at least five or six at night, often too, and it's a very long day too. So, yeah. you know, I know intermittent fasting. A lot of people promote it as it's something good, but I find. Like, I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be focused (laughs) on that. So, you know, I just have my healthy foods and I just have, you know, a snack. I might have a hard-boiled egg as a snack or something, too, and a piece of fruit or something. And I'm definitely not doing this, only eating within eight hours of the day and then 16 not. So can you touch on that, even the intermittent fasting? And, I mean, it might be good in some cases, but maybe not in, like, an entrepreneurial situation. Yeah, no, that's a great great question. Um, And uh, I actually... um, have done a lot of intermittent fasting and it's one of those big shifts, right? We went from the low fat craze to kind of the high fat craze. We went from eating six meals a day. Now people are saying to do intermittent fasting, eat two meals a day, or there's different versions of the intermittent fasting. And, um, there's, there's pluses and minuses for sure. And, um, what I noticed is when I had a desk job and I, um, I did more meal prep where I would bring my food in and I would snack and kind of graze all day long. And that worked really well for me. <clears throat> that worked really well. Clean eating, grazing throughout the day, gave me consistent energy, gave me good mental focus. Then when I shifted to working in a gym all day, it was hard for me to eat all day because I was working with clients and I had people coming in. And and um, and I, in the beginning, I was trying to graze and eat all day, but I didn't have time for meal prep in the beginning because I was working 12 hours a day and it was or I didn't make time for it. Um so I actually shifted over to um, an intermittent fasting style of eating where I, would, um, I wouldn't eat anything till lunch or even have a late lunch. You know, So get up around 7 a.m. and then probably not eat until 2. Um, and it was simpler for me to have two big meals a day. Um, the way I look at it is you need to eat so many calories per day, mm-hmm. right? And let's say it's 2,000 calories a day. It's different for everyone. Obviously, it might be 1,500 for you and 2,400 for someone else, but it's some amount of calories. And you can divide those meals into six meals per day. You can divide it into five. You can divide it into four. You can divide it into three. You could even divide it into two, but you probably can't divide it into one, right? Mm-hmm, one right. meal, your body just can't process that many calories in one meal. Two meals, for me, would be like two meals of 1,000 to 1,200 calories are big, satisfying meals. And I like to, you know, I feel satisfied after a meal. Whereas if I eat six meals, each meal doesn't really fill me up. And it's kind of like, I'm still, you know, I never quite get satisfied. So for the way I like to eat, um, I prefer to do fewer big meals. Um, But what they found, though, is that actually intermittent fasting tends to work better for men than women. Hmm. Um, And I think what I've noticed is that women in general are better at portion control, um, whereas guys tend to tend to overeat. (laughs) And that's a a huge, um, um, you know stereotype I guess but I know for me it's true and I know women that I know that um, have tried intermittent fasting they tend to prefer eating more meals but Mm -hmm. smaller but controlling the portions and the foods they're eating Um, and a lot of guys I know especially guys who like to lift heavy and and uh, and train hard they want that bigger more satisfying meal right so it's really you know like I said either one can work you can do two meals a day you can do six it comes down to the total calories in a 24-hour period and making sure that most of them are you know fitting your macronutrient needs so your proteins, carbs, and your fats, that they're meeting your micronutrient needs, your vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients, um, and making sure that in general they're not too much sugar and, you know, I use the term clean eating a lot. And clean eating is basically, to me, it's plant-based, you right. know, mostly plants, 
you're having some meat, but not huge portions of meat, and some healthy fats, but not going overboard on the fats. Right. We've talked a lot about nutrition, but I do want to touch also on some exercises. So what are some easy-to-do exercises in the office that a business owner can do just to get moving, even if it's only for a few minutes? That is such a great question. I remember when I had a desk job, reading these articles were popping up about how sitting is the new smoking. And mm-hmm. they look at the statistics and saying that if you sit all day long, even if you work out for an hour, um, it's not going to counteract the negative effects of sitting so day, uh, mm-hmm. sitting um, all day. So the problem with sitting is is um, that your your the muscles kind of on the back, so like your glutes and your hamstrings on the back of your legs, um, your upper shoulders kind of get weak, uh, and then the muscles on the front, like your chest and your quadriceps, get tight, and it tends to um, what they call what they call um, upper and lower cross body syndrome, where your posture tends to get bad, your shoulders come forward, and your your pelvis tends to tilt down. Mm. That's one problem with it, right? Just more of like a biomechanical issue. Um, and so there's exercises you can do, stretching out your chest, strengthening your upper back, stretching out your quads, strengthening your hamstrings to kind of counteract that. The other problem is that you go into this kind of standby mode. And if you think about like your computer when you're not using it, it goes into standby mode right. where it's not burning calories, it's not as active, it's not as vital. And what I think is so fascinating about exercise, is it's really the only way you can increase blood flow to your brain. Hmm. The most effective way, right? If, if you're just sitting and thinking really hard, you know, you, you might have to increase blood flow, but actually getting up and moving and getting your heart pumping and, and pushing oxygen through all your tissue, that to me is the most important thing about exercise. And ideally, um, you know, I, I, I think because we, because of our diets and because of our sedentary lifestyles, we've, we've, we've gotten into this delusion that we need to do extreme things. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to eat just broccoli and chicken twice a day, you know, or six times a day. And we need to eat, we need to do insanity workouts and things like that. And really what we need is to just keep moving consistently throughout the day um, and eat fresh, healthy food. So around the office, you know, honestly, like I know um, where I worked, we would call into all our meetings, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and just the idea of getting up and going to someone's desk and moving and walking and getting the blood flow, um, standing up, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that shift and forcing your, your body to, to react in, in, in your heart to beat a little faster and your blood pressure to change to, to deal with that. Just moving around the office. Um, one of the good things about drinking more water is you have to take more bathroom breaks, right? So you have mm-hmm. to walk, taking the stairs, just moving more throughout the office, um, if you can do, you know, I think most people know how to do a basic squat. Mm-hmm. And uh, the squat is such a good fundamental exercise because it's going to help activate your glutes, which become deactivated because you're sitting on, sitting on them all the time. And so, and because, you know, your biggest muscles in your body tend to be in your lower body, you know, your quadriceps, your hamstrings, your glutes. And when you do squats, you're engaging all those muscles. You're also engaging your core. So you're, you're, you're releasing all, um, you're burning more energy, you're getting the blood flow more. And so that's a really good exercise. Some light stretching. Um, a doorway stretch is really good to counteract um, how your your chest, your shoulders kind of get rolled forward. So doing doorway stretches is going to help for that. But just in general, just, you know, being um, moving more throughout the day um, and not, you know, maybe set an alarm mm-hmm. at your desk so that you don't, because sometimes you get in that flow state and you're in that zone and you're working and things are great. But usually that doesn't last more than 90 minutes. You know, usually... After 90 minutes, you, the, the standby mode tends to take over and your body's like, you're, you're not as productive. And that's when you got to get up and, 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 and shift, your, shift your energy and, and get your body moving and get your blood flowing and wake your brain back up. 
Right. Well, our time has gone by so fast today. We've covered so much. Um, so do you have an offer that you'd like to share with our listeners and how can people reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, my favorite you can probably tell my favorite thing to talk about is nutrition, and mm-hmm. I love talking about business um, and 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 how to be more productive and how to, you know, help your create a culture that's more productive. And so, um, I would love to offer anyone a, a free coaching call. Um, we can talk about your situation, about things you're dealing with, about some strategies that, that might benefit you, um, and and hopefully get you kind of um you know on a, on a path where you can make some changes. Um, they're going to affect you positively over the next six months and year, and get you closer to some of those goals in health and fitness, but also help you as a business owner. So um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Dan Hawkins on LinkedIn. Um, You can reach me through my work email address. It's daniel.hawkins at nineround.com. And it's the number nine in the word round. Or uh, my Instagram uh, is my my fighter name, DangerDan425 on Instagram. So you can contact me there. And I'd love to chat with you and and give you a free coaching call. Well, this has been a great topic for sure. Just as myself, having been in the situation as an entrepreneur, knowing I wasn't doing as much as I probably should have for health and fitness and now trying to do better about that. I appreciate your taking the time and just giving us some information that we may or may not have known, but hopefully, you know, we'll start applying it even more. Um, And so, again, if there are any questions or comments, uh, you know, as you're listening today, feel free to reach out to us. So I hope you did find this topic interesting and it answered some questions about how entrepreneurship affects our health and some things we can do to approve it. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Dan at any of the links that he shared, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Next week's topic is the power of purpose in creating a high-performance business. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and my website is www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week. 